Do um, do you all remember those lawn ornaments that were real popular, like in the late '80s, early '90s, that were just like plywood cutouts? It was like a, a white reindeer, or sometimes there'd be like a team of reindeer or whatever, but they would be scattered around the lawn. They were white, and they seemed to kind of come up out of the snow. It was striking, right, when, when the white was just right and the weather was just right. But they were very, very simple. They were really just like, like the grown-up version of paper dolls or something. <laughs> Some old guy cut out of plywood this, this stenciling of the reindeer. Then later, maybe Santa, and eventually there were even nativity scenes. I remember seeing these things for a year or two or maybe three, I don't know. And then, then that fall that I was 10, I was taking the dog for a walk around the block in those days when the block was the whole universe, right? And you knew everybody on your block, but ah, there was like a magic line right at the end of the block. If you cross that barrier and those other people, they were from somewhere else. And, and, and I had the dog out for a walk, and I met the guy who lived the first house on the other side of the line. And he was in his garage. He had the garage door open, and he had a work table set out in the driveway, and then he was in the garage, and he was making these lawn ornaments. And I could see them sort of in process, right? And they really were. Just, it, was, it was this huge piece of plywood, and he had these stencils, and he would draw out the, the, the shape of the reindeer, and then he would, he would cut them, and then eventually he would paint them. But what I saw in the garage that day was not simply some old guy working on some wood in his garage. Even at 10, I'd seen that a thousand times. But there was something about these ornaments that I'd never noticed. There was beauty there that I hadn't caught before they looked like the kind of stuff you put up in your lawn at Christmas time. None of that stuff is ever very pretty, right? The nativity scenes are plastic and look like they might have come out of a child's play box. The lights might be pretty in the snow at night, but when you put them up, they look chintzy, right? And, and so this, there was a beauty about these wood objects that I, I just had never caught before, and it consisted mostly in this the way he had them arranged in the garage, he was in the garage during the day, but with the lights off, and he was trying to play with light and shadow because he knew that at night, right, with the street lights or the Christmas lights from the house, these, these figurines would be casting shadows on the lawn. And especially if the lawn was snow-covered, that mattered. Well, anyhow, I got to talking with the old guy, and he showed me sort of his process and what he did. And he, he showed me some that he was working on, which weren't going to be painted white as though coming up out of the snow, but would themselves be black as a sort of a, a, a contrast with the white of the snow or with the, with the house behind them. And he, of course, you know, would sell these. Well, I, I was interested. I felt like in the moment at least in retrospect, feels like that moment at the beginning of a kid's movie where the kid blunders into the old man's workshop and the old man shows him something wonderful and an adventure's about to take place. That's, that's really what it was like. So he invited me to come and help him and even said he'd pay me some if I did. So I went home and, and, and talked to my mom and my parents knew who the people were and so, so they called and made sure I wasn't making stuff up and okay, yeah, you, you can help the guy out. And so for the last week or so of summer and the first few weeks of school, 
After school, I'd stop by his house and we'd work in the garage for a couple of hours and we made several of these ornaments. And then I just stopped. And I couldn't tell you why. Wasn't some sports practice come up. More likely it was whatever book series I was into at the time or maybe something on TV. I remember a couple of times just sitting in my bedroom lying on the bed thinking, I really should go help Mr. So-and-so again, but I never did. And it got awkward because I never like went up and said, oh, I'm sorry, Mr. I'm too busy. I can't help out anymore. I just quit going. And so every time I passed the house, I'd kind of like duck so he wouldn't see me. I was embarrassed about how he'd acted, but I didn't know how to fix it. The old man died the next year and I felt terribly guilty and I still, every time I pass by that house, there's a kind of a twinge, something that could have been that was left undone that I regret. And what's even more, I can't help but look at lawn ornaments like that and not feel at least a smattering of something left undone. I'm raising all that, friends, because the next two weeks, for most of us, are likely to be rife with opportunities that could cause us to grow closer in family life and love with those that we already care about, that could cause us to, to, to reconcile with people that maybe we've fallen out with, or to build bridges with those people that we're not as close to. Ultimately, ultimately, opportunities to bring people to Jesus or we could let them pass by. We can recognize it would be a good thing to have these sorts of conversations or be the sort of honest with each other if we had the chance. But it's so much work and it could go so badly. And there is definitely something more interesting on TV. We could have a thousand excuses, and if we give ourselves the chance, we'll make them up, no question. But I don't want your Christmas to be like that old man's house or those old lawn ornaments for me. I want you to be able to look back on this one with gratitude. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying what I want you to do is, you know, pick a big fight at the Christmas dinner. I actually find the better place to have these sort of entry points isn't in a large group and isn't in formal settings like that. It's in those precious moments that we get this time of year in a way we don't, at least in my experience, the rest of the year, <clears throat> but where, where we're doing something. Maybe it's because I'm a guy and men bond over doing, right? But there's always extra stuff to be done, right? Things that need to be done outside or things that need to be done inside the house. It's, it's the kind of conversation that can happen while hanging Christmas, Christmas lights or wrapping caramels or candies or presents or making that last minute run to the store because somebody realized they forgot something. You take those moments as opportunities. Not to say, ah, kid, it's been so long since I've seen you. You know, you, know, you know, Jesus did the best thing for me this week. It's too obvious. It's probably too weird. And they'll be unimpressed. Don't do that. Ask them what they love. Ask them what's going best in their lives. What gets them up in the morning these days? 
what they can't help but think about while they're at work. And then, when you speak your piece, don't simply try and issue a lesson from the catechism. Don't try and correct every error you're sure they hold, especially if it's a political error. Just tell them what matters most to you. When the time comes for that dreaded conversation about Mass, and it will for most all of us, you don't have to make a show of it. Don't poke and prod, it'd be good for you, eat your vegetables, kid. Just invite, and then if they don't come, talk about how wonderful it was. If you need, use all of the wonderful other things we've got going on at a place like this. You know, my church, we, we've got a daycare that starts at two and we've got apartments for the elderly that goes right up to the end. Like, we're a real womb-to-tomb place, whatever it is. We got a clinic. You kid need a physical? If you're out of town, figure out where the church is and at least point them in the right direction. If you see the priest in the grocery, stop him and embarrass him. He deserves it. But don't let these chances pass you by. The other reason I raise that story in particular for my childhood is because I spent those weeks in the carpenter's shop, the woodman's shop, and the story that we read in today's gospel is certainly taking place in a woodman's shop. An angel appearing to Joseph, waking, sleeping, in the place where Joseph lives his life, a very ordinary place, just like yours and mine, making very ordinary things, tables and chairs and other sorts of things. And in the midst of that, God breaks through. And when God breaks through, it's scary. When God shows up, it frightens us. That's why the angels always have to say, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Have you ever tried saying, do not be afraid, to somebody who seems wholly unafraid? You seem crazy. They're not going to listen to anything else you say. If you say, do not be afraid, to somebody who is clearly terrified, it usually doesn't go much better. (laughs) But at least now you know where you stand. Joseph, strong, brave Joseph, trembling in his workshop at the sight of the angel. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife into your home. For it is by the Holy Spirit that this child has been conceived in her. Can you? Can you Let the child be conceived in you. Can you be brave, bold, like Mary? Can you be brave, bold, like Joseph, who despite all the odds and everything stacked against them, were able to trust? And in those most difficult of moments to see God with us, with his people. 
At the 11 o'clock Mass today, we're going to formally bless and install, erect, I think is the word, uh, the new Stations of the Cross. You've probably passed by them the last two or three weeks and didn't even notice they were there. That's okay. We all do that kind of thing. There's something very fitting about this. Because the cross and the crib are cut from the wood of the same tree. This isn't just a way of pressing the metaphor of light and darkness. This is literally true. Not in the sense of, like, the same birch or something. Uh, maybe that is too, I don't know. But, but the, 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 the cross and the crib are cut from the wood of the same tree. It's not like God works in one sort of way over here and a different sort of way over there. That the incarnation is radically different, distinct, and wholly apart from the redemption. It's not like the kid in the cradle is different than the man on the tree. They're the same person. And the baby rules the universe as surely from the manger as God does from the cross. That's what it means to call Christ our king. That's the reason we kneel before an infant, before an image of an infant. It's the reason that we, we decorate our houses and maybe even our yards with images of that infant. The image of Jesus in the manger is in some ways the first of the stations of the cross. It's where it all begins, and it all heads directly to the same place. It's not that the other stuff isn't important. It each has right, its role in the story. But the story of the crib and the story of the cross are the same story about the same man working out the same marvelous acts of redemption in his life and in each of our lives. That play of light and dark, shadow and light. Those opportunities often gone unmissed, often gone missed rather, and the things that we stumble over unexpectedly, that God continues to make himself present there in the most unlikely of places, under the most unlikely of guides. Who knows? It could be your kid who quit going to church years ago who says something to you this Christmas that brings about conversion in you. The question for you is whether you will be able to recognize him in the crib, on the cross, and above all, on the altar, where God is still with us every day.